Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. What did you write for Audio Hijack? What's the name of the book? Take Control of Audio Hijack. Take Control of Audio Hijack. That's the book that Kirk wrote, and uh, the reason I want to talk about that is because Audio Hijack just came out with a fabulous new update. Now, if you do any kind of recording, you know, I remember when Audio Hijack was the essential recording thing to have back in the classic days. Like, everybody had it who was doing any kind of recording. And it's so gratifying that they're still around and making it as better. Now, this is not a commercial for Audio Hijack. This is just our enthusiasm level it's just so high for Audio Hijack. It's 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 wonderful that they can keep it going and 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 they just came up with a new update with a lot of great features, which is what I'm really happy about. We use Audio Hijack regularly for all our podcasts and it's probably the only app that I can say has never crashed on me. And this is even using the alpha versions of, you know, developer versions way in advance of release. It has never crashed. And when you're recording audio, that's really important. If you have a crash 45 minutes into a 50-minute interview and you've lost your audio, then you're totally screwed. Well, not only that, I'm thinking about what a lot of people use it for, and that is like scheduled recording of some radio show, right? And you go to bed confident that when you wake up in the morning, you know, your recording is going to be there in total. And can you imagine... I mean, I would just be so upset if if Audio Hijack crashed, but you're right. It's it's one of those rare apps that is so well-developed, so well-taken-care-of before they let it out of the barn that uh, it, it, it just doesn't have any problems. And the, what are some of the features they added this time? Because there's really a ton of them, which is unusual. There's a lot of new features. Many of them are cosmetic. The sessions list window now has columns that you can turn off and resize, kind of like a finder window column. The system audio block. So you can record anything on your Mac. Now, we're each recording ourselves, our own vocals. You take it, you put it into Logic Pro, you edit. You could record all the sound on your Mac. And the problem was before, it would be all the sound on your Mac. Now you can exclude apps. So you can record all the sound on your Mac, but you can not record Safari or alert sounds and different types of things if you want. Now, this is really useful for people who do live streaming. It's less for us. And this is one of the changes in Audio Hijack 4 is a bunch of features for live streamers. Some of the blocks have been enhanced to make them smaller with popovers, et cetera, et cetera. I think the best thing is the sessions list that now I'm looking at it. I see the amount of time. I have a stop button. Instead of having to have the larger window of the session with all the blocks. And if you don't understand what that is, look in the show notes. I'll link to the Audio Hijack webpage and you'll see how it works with blocks. It's kind of like a, they call it a pipeline. It's kind of like a flow chart where imagine your guitar is going into a bunch of effects boxes and then it goes into the amplifier. Well, you think of each block as like an effects box and it's either on or off and you're changing volume or whatever. Wonderful software. And one of the great things to use it for is to record music that's streamed on websites. So if you like 
the BBC's Proms Classical Music Festival in summer, you can record all of the music as it's played on the BBC Sounds website or if it's broadcast live on BBC iPlayer. This is assuming you're either in the UK or you know how to use a VPN to pretend you're in the UK. But you have all these options to record any kind of audio. If you've seen a concert you like on YouTube, you can record the audio. It's really simple. So we'll link to my book as well, but this is not a commercial for the book or for Audio Hijack, just we are satisfied customers and we use it all the time. And I guess that's the end of this episode. No, no, that's just one thing. You, you've, we've been getting new, you've been getting things. I want to talk about, there's a couple of things I want to know about. First of all, HomePod. We, now, we've talked about HomePod on, on a couple of other podcasts we do, but uh, we haven't talked about it here. And so what do you think about the... HomePod, the new HomePod. I'm a little bit perplexed because it was discontinued, what, nearly two years ago, March 2021, with no replacement. And even though the HomePod mini had already come out, I believe, just before Christmas, there was no replacement for the larger HomePod. And we immediately thought, well, they're giving up on, air quotes, high-end audio. I wouldn't really consider it high-end, but still. And then we got this surprise announcement last week, the day after an announcement of new Macs, new MacBook Pros, a surprise announcement by press release with a two-minute video that was mostly just showing people dancing to the music and all that. And I kind of wonder what's the market for this, because anyone who had committed to HomePods before saw that Apple wasn't serious. They gave up. They probably bought Sonos, which I think a Sonos One at half the price sounds better than a HomePod. I haven't heard the new HomePod. Maybe it does sound better than the first generation, but we'll see. But it kind of, Apple wouldn't be doing this if they don't have longer term plans for audio. Well, that's what's, that's what's the confounding thing. If when did they get these plans together? Because they dropped the original. They discontinued the original. It's not like they just stopped selling it. They discontinued the model. And this the sense of afterthought is kind of bewildering. Yeah. But I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, I haven't heard I, I actually I haven't heard the HomePod or the HomePod Mini in the wild yet. So, I mean, I'm kind of uh, in the dark about the quality, but I'm assuming that it's, it's, I've heard you talk about it. I've heard plenty of people talk about it. Yeah, I have, I have two HomePods mini. One's in the kitchen and it, it's a very, what? HomePods mini. That's well, like funny. attorneys general and <laughs> yeah, courts yeah, marshal. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. Fine. So one's in the kitchen and a kitchen is a very hard place for audio because it's got tiles on the wall and we've got a stone floor. So... I couldn't put anything good in there anyway. So I've got a HomePod mini for when I'm cooking. That's fine. I've got another one in my office. Yes, this is overkill because I've got two pairs of speakers in my office. But when I listen to podcasts, I don't want them coming through the amplifier and the speakers because they sound really bassy. And I don't like when podcasts sound like that. So the HomePod mini is a nice little better than listening on the iPhone speaker, but, you know, not overpowering like that, if that makes any sense. Again, I buy this stuff to test it and write about it. So I do find a use for it. I do have one of the original HomePods in my living room. I had bought one, then I bought a second to try out the HomePod and a stereo pair. And then sometime during COVID, the second one just died. It got bricked during an update. That's right. I forgot about that. I took it to an Apple store some months ago, and they said, nope, we can't do anything about it. So I said, just recycle it. I don't care. They ought to get the guys at Audio Hijack working on the software because <laughs> it never crashed. Well, this is the kind of, you can't reset a HomePod, right? So you can reset 
an iPod, you can reset an iPhone, you can reset an iPad, any any Apple device to factory settings, right? You can't do that with a HomePod. There's no, you can't restore it. There's no plug to restore the software. So if something happens, it's dead. Wow. Didn't anybody cross the corridor and say, hey, you fellas, you ought to put a reset thing on there? A lot of people, well, there's a reset thing. You hold your hand on top of the the HomePod when it goes on and you wait till the lights flash. But if it doesn't go on and the lights don't flash, you it, like if it's not getting past the initial boot in the software, it could have been a hardware problem, but it could, it, since it died during a software update, it suggests more that it's software. And if you could connect it to a computer and reload the software, that would kind of make sense, but you can't do that. And remember the HomePod was initially what, $329 they dropped the price to $299 at the end when they announced that it was being discontinued, or maybe even before that. And the new one is being sold at $299, which I still think is probably too expensive considering the competition. Well, I'm thinking if you want to buy two of them, that's $600. And I don't know if I want to spend $600 on a pair of speakers like that. I mean, I'd certainly be willing to spend more for a really nice pair of speakers. Not that these aren't a pair of speakers, but... I, I, the 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 idea that it's being used as a single uh, audio output is more appealing than using two of them. It just sounds too too much. Just, just how many speakers would that be? <laughs> that would be like 147 speakers, wouldn't it? If you had two of them. Well, there's a woofer and five tweeters in each one, so that would be a total of 12 speakers. It, it does sound an awful lot better in a stereo pair, but I have a stereo pair of Sonos ones in the bedroom, which I think is better. Then the HomePod, you have more EQ settings. The HomePod's very limited. And, and it's just the price. It's too expensive. They're really selling it as a Siri tool, right? But Are they? The, the, Is that what the well, marketing sells it as? Well, I that's half of it. Remember, it's, it's part Siri, it's part music. Yeah. The thing is, you can only use it if you own Apple devices already. You can't use it unless you have an iPhone or an iPad to set it up. So you've already got a Siri device. Right. And... The same with the HomePod Mini. As a Siri device, it's only for people who are already Apple users, who already have other Siri devices. Now, do you want Siri devices in every room? Maybe you don't want to carry your phone around. Maybe you're not wearing an Apple Watch. But I have Siri turned off. I press the button every now and then. We've discussed this privately. Uh, you know, set a timer, do some complicated math, convert currencies, et cetera, et cetera. The initial reviews of the HomePod of the first people who got a, I, I guess it's like an invite only closed door listening session was like, oh, wow, it's so great. It's so amazing. Of course, these are worth nothing because what are they comparing it to? What kind of room is it in? They're they're pressured by Apple executives around them. And I was just going to say, it's just, a, it's a junket. Of course, yes. you're going to love yeah. it. So, you yeah. know, but that's okay. I expect it. You expect that though, but you expect that when they come up with something. When they come up with a new computer, it's the best ever. When you come out with this new speaker, it's the best. It's, I get it. That's fine. I'm expecting it to sound better than the, than the first HomePod. I would think that they've learned their lesson. The first HomePod was overly bassy and took well over a year for them to add a software setting in the Home app to reduce bass. I think that was the one thing that ruined the HomePod originally. If you wanted to listen to bass-thumping hip-hop, it was great. But for anything else, it was muffled. So... I'm, I'm assuming they've learned, but, you know, the first time they went through all of this presentation with like the, the, the anechoic chamber where they were testing it and showing all these graphics of the waves bouncing off walls and stuff, 
No one gives a darn about that stuff at all. They want, they're putting a single speaker. If, you know, the audiophiles want to see the anechoic chamber. They want to see the wave pattern things. Not for a single speaker that's just kind of sitting there playing music. It's... Well, you're going to call your secretary, your concierge, and say, get me that. And then they don't, you know, the price is no object. Uh, quality is not a consideration. It's from Apple. Therefore, it's perfectly fine. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. it's going to sound good. Um, I'm still disappointed. Well, a couple of things. A couple of days after the HomePod landed, the new HomePod landed, there was a rumor going around that Apple was working on an iPad that would, wait a minute, what was it now? It was going to be able to work with HomeKit. Did you see this rumor? No. It was only around for like three or four days before Apple squelched it. But it was, it reminded me of the Home Bar. It's like some kind of controller for uh, HomeKit, but ostensibly HomeKit, but, you know, of course, it would be used with an Apple TV. And, of course, our, our dream is that there be a home bar, which is a an Apple TV that is essentially a, a sound bar um, and has all other goodies in it. I guess it could have, well, if they had brought back Airport. But, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, it could work as a HomeKit hub because you do need a HomeKit hub for certain HomeKit things, and the Apple TV is one of them. Is that Thread? Is that what Thread is involved, or is that something else altogether? Thread is totally different, but the Apple TV can be a Thread router, a Thread... I forget the terminology now, because it's now going to be called Matter. It's a the next version of Thread. But there are currently... There used to be three devices that could be HomeKit hubs, the Apple TV, the HomePod and the iPad. The iPad can no longer be a HomeKit hub. The HomePod mini can, the new HomePod can, and the Apple TV can. So it's static devices as opposed to mobile devices. The idea of the iPad never made sense to me because it is a mobile device and it has to be in your home if you take it to work or on vacation or whatever. Truth be told, I do have a permanently mounted iPad, but I've got a box of iPads, you know, I mean, I've just got a box of iPad minis and I just, you know, one I use, I use for one app. That's it. I play a game on it and that's it because it's an old, well, whatever. But I yeah. mean, um, I cannot, Most I cannot, people but, don't have that kind of stuff like yeah. we do, but I can definitely understand why the static, uh, static devices could be used as, uh, you know, beacons. Yeah. For, for other platforms. But airport, you know, we've talked, maybe not on this show, but on other podcasts and privately about why did they get rid of airport stuff? Mesh Wi-Fi is the thing. Imagine if the HomePod, the HomePod mini, the Apple TV, they were all mesh Wi-Fi units. Maybe you have to buy a base station and that these are all satellites. Maybe this is already wired in. One of the features in the new HomePod is that it you can ask what the temperature is in the room and it will tell you the temperature and humidity. It has a temperature and humidity sensor. Now, people f discovered this in the HomePod Mini at least a year ago, that it has this same temperature humidity sensor, but it wasn't turned on. It will be turned on in the HomePod Mini with the new software update when the new HomePod's released. I, you know, there seems to be a lot of, ooh, it has these sensors. And I'm like, why Why is that such a big deal? It's if like, the temperature goes below 20, I want you to turn the heat up. That sort of thing. You make a home kit routine. You don't ask Right, it. but it's in the speaker. It's in the speaker. Well, the speaker is in a position to judge the temperature in the room. Right. I think that's interesting, right? Because it didn't occur to me that, 
oh, the speaker is a thing that has electronics in it that could have sensors in it that could talk to other things on the network that could control things in my home. Well, particularly HomeKit routines. And, and that's so the idea of having a device in every room that can tell the temperature, if that can adjust your heating. We're talking a lot of money to set all this up. Yeah. Last year I bought, I'm going to count, one, two, three, four smart radiator thermostats. So you know the radiator thermostats you turn and they have the numbers. And I got these smart ones from Eve. I'll link in the show notes. I have schedules set up. So the heat comes on in the house at 6.30 in the morning. But in certain rooms, the radiator thermostats don't go on until 8 o'clock. So the house is starting to heat up, but I'm not using heat in certain rooms to save energy because heating oil is so expensive here. You could do this in every single room. Now, each of these devices has a temperature sensor in it, but the problem is, A, it's close to the ground, so the temperature is lower there. B, it's next to a radiator. So you have to figure out an offset to get the temperature right, like put a thermometer in a room for a day and check. It's a little bit complicated. Speaker placement suddenly takes on a whole new dimension because you've <laughs> got to not only think about where you're sitting, but you've got to think about where your heat in the room is coming from. That's why I thought it was kind of odd, but I guess it's just, it's a start. Well, for, for most people, the speaker's going to be... Look, I get these little, these little $4 electronic thermometers that... that Wi-Fi into my uh, to an app on my phone, and I can see what the temperature is around the house. So I mean, I don't need to spend three hundred dollars on an on a HomePod. I've got a. But they're not HomeKit. Well, compatible. there must be such a. That's the there difference. must be such a thing. Well, but they are, but they're more expensive. That's the thing. So you're going to put a speaker at a height which is okay for the temperature. You don't want your your temperature to be measured at the floor or at the ceiling, right? Wherever it is in the middle is fine, and you can adjust it. And the problem is, if you want the radiator thing and the temperature sensor in all the rooms, that's going to cost a lot of money. On the other hand, once you've bought that stuff, it's going to last a long time. And for me, this was a really good investment because I can control from my phone the temperature on any given radiator. Instead of turning from three to four, I don't know what three is. I don't know what four is. It's just like a random temperature. I can be much more precise. When I come in my office in the morning, this morning it's very cold out, and this is an old house, I had to turn it up by a half a degree, but I didn't turn it up so much on one of those manual things that I'd start sweating and have to turn it down again. So you, you, you don't want to have your speakers too high anyway because you want to have them at ear level, but depending on where your ear level is and where your heat level is, I mean, you know, I could put my hand up over my head and feel how much warmer it is above my head, and I could put my hand down towards my feet and feel how cooler it is. But that mid-range, so I guess you have to, you have to rethink your whole heating situation no, because you don't have to be that obsessed about it. Because remember, no, I, you, I know I don't, but you know my no, mind. No, remember, just you figure that out that it's a half degree or a degree too much or too little, and then you compensate that sort of thing. So if your thermostat is in centigrade, twenty degrees, and it's too cold. In one room, you raise it to 21, or if it's too hot, you put it to 19. It's You, you figure it out. It, it is a trial and error thing. But w one of the advantages of all these devices is that, they, is that they are thread compatible, which means they talk to each other and they create a mesh network. So other devices in the house can pass data to each other. So the thing is, once you start down this path, and, and there's multiple vendors now making thread and matter compatible devices, you can create a system to do a lot of things. And 
initially we set up a, a ring doorbell. That was the first thing. And then we got some ring alarms and then we got some ring cameras and then we got the Eve smart home stuff. And now the ring doesn't speak with HomeKit yet. I think it might work with matter in the future. They're all going to come together, but hopefully over time you realize how much these things can work together. Like we have a camera outside the house by a cat flap. I could get notifications from the camera and I could have that trigger something to like turn a light on or something, right? When a cat goes by and to let me know the cat goes in or automatically turn on the smart home cat feeder, <laughs> which I don't have. Well, that's what I first thought. Yes. It's like when you know the cat comes in, it's like, would you like some food, monsieur? <laughs> you know, that sort of, I, I, I can see that happening. I mean, I don't know, why not? I'm sure there is such a thing. There's a dog and a cat feeder that runs on remote because when you're at work, and you see your dog is walking and moping around. It's like, oh, he wants some food. Why not just release a half a cup of food? Probably adjustable. Makes sense. Yeah. So, sure. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of future for home kit stuff and home automation. However- Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mentioned, well, we've been talking about thread and matter. And I bet a lot of people don't even know what that is. I'm going to link to an article I wrote about thread. I mentioned matter at the end and the matter standard has just been finalized. And we're starting to see Eve just updated their app for matter and some Eve devices will get matter updates. It's just an extension of thread. It provides more interoperability with devices from other vendors. But here's the question I have though, is thread, like you don't go to Home Depot and see a bulb and says, thread compatible. Yes, it's you do. Oh, you do see that. Okay, yeah. good. Cause yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. guess I haven't gone to Home Depot to see that. My Philips Hue light bulbs, I have a number of Philips Hue smart bulbs and they're thread compatible. I see all my thread compatible devices in the Eve app. I can control everything from the home app because I'm only buying HomeKit compatible stuff. I'm not buying, you know, there's other standards, but since I'm an Apple guy, it kind of makes sense. So yes, you will see, well, on Amazon or wherever, is it Mac compatible? Is it Windows compatible? Is it Siri, Alexa? Is it HomeKit? Is it Thread? Is it Matter? You'll see all of these things. There's a previous standard called Zigbee that was popular for a while. I mean, with a name like that, how could you go wrong, right? But this is the kind, you need to make sure you buy things that are compatible because the more you have, the, the less flexibility you have, right? Well, I'm locked in. That's the situation I'm in. I, the controller I use most frequently is Alexa um, because I have more stuff that's Alexa compatible than is HomeKit compatible, which is kind of a bummer. I mean, I think it's always been that way. It's a little more expensive to get into the, the HomeKit well, only. The difference is that Alexa compatible is like a one-way thing, Alexa to the device. You can't create routines where one device triggers another one. Um, we, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, might be right about that. Most of the things that I can do with Alexa, are, I have to schedule myself. I have to create myself. But it could be right they could accept triggers i mean if i have some amazon devices maybe maybe some of those do but most of these are other party that might right so the thing about the home kit stuff is that your home kit hub is what's saving all this information about all the devices and what triggers what and how long and when and 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 all of that. And again, I'm only scratching the surface. I've got heating, I've got cameras, I've got light bulbs. I don't have a smart lawn watering thing, which actually can save people money if they need to water their lawn because you do it before the sun comes up and after the sun goes down and you do it just enough. They have 
I think they have one now with a sensor that tells the device when to stop watering so you don't waste too much water. I don't have smart locks because I've been advised by a locksmith who's done work here that they're not really very good yet, that we're still years away. You could have a smart garage door opener that detects when you get close to your house. And you know, there's all kinds of things, but it is sort of limited to house stuff. I have an oil heater, which is like a little radiator filled with oil, right? And it's electric and it heats up. And I have one in my office in the corner. I have an Eve smart plug on it. So I can turn it on and off when I want remotely rather than, yes, I know, rather than getting up and turning it on. It's because if I've gone to a different room, I realize it's on, I can just take my phone and turn it off because it does cost, electricity is pretty expensive in this country. So sometimes in the morning, I put it on for a half an hour or 45 minutes and then I turn it off. It's the same as turning the lights on before you enter a room. I mean, it's, you're just prepping the room remotely. It's, I don't have a problem with that. I might have 20 years ago. But I don't now. We have lights that turn on when we pull into the driveway. We have lights that turn on on stairwells at a certain time. I mean, things like that. It's perfectly acceptable now. Whereas, yeah. well, 20 years ago, we would have been, what do you, what do you live in a robot house? You know, I mean, it's, but now it's perfectly acceptable. I knew a guy in the late 70s. We went to some guy's house on Long Island and he went into his living room and he clapped his hand and the lights came on. Clap on, clap off, clapper. He was that guy. That was good technology considering. That was huge that you didn't have to get up and turn a light on or turn a TV off or something like that. I mean, remember the first TV remotes? Oh, man, don't even get me started. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yes. I don't want to go back. <laughs> We should do an episode on remotes one day. Yeah, actually. You know, that's an interesting topic. Well, it's it talks about, it. it's really an episode about laziness is really what it is because you don't want to well, get no, up. Well, it's no, it's really an episode about taking buttons off of the TV. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I yeah. don't even know if I could change channels on my TV without a remote. There might be some buttons hidden underneath the bottom of the TV. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know where Never they looked. are. I recently discovered that my TV monitor has plugs on the side of it. I, and I've had the thing for 15 years and I didn't know I could actually access some some stuff from the side of it, because I just never looked uh, at I think it. the remote makes most sense for like a, a, a Blu-ray or a DVD player that you want to pause or you want to rewind. You don't want to have to get up and go to the thing and try and remember which button you press. So that makes a lot of sense. But remotes, we'll do that some other time. We've already talked 27 minutes about all this. Of course, you're going to edit out a couple minutes. Should this be the end of the show? Sure. I just wanted to talk about some of the audio stuff that's been coming around, and we did that. Well, I've got a next track. My son turns me on to music occasionally. I may have mentioned this band. This is called The Murder Capital. They have a new album called Gigi's Recovery. Apple Music says the Dublin post-punk band explores the darkest corners of the self. Now, I've also mentioned Fontaine's DC, which is another Dublin post-punk band, and they're very similar. They're not punky punk, and they're... Uh, makes me think of things like The Cure and that sort of early 80s post-punk rockish stuff. And I only listened to it once this morning, this new album by The Murder Capital. I, just, I think it just released today or yesterday. So I'm going to recommend this as my next track pick because it really is my next track, listening to it a few times. On Apple Music, there are a number of music videos that go along with this particular release. So I haven't watched those yet either. Post-punk bands and music videos kind of makes me think of MTV-ish. And like some of them are the usual, here's the band playing and that's cool. But these look like from the poster frames, one is the band playing and another is a guy walking in a field. Another is 
looks like a bunch of people sitting in couches in a gymnasium. Anyway, Gigi's recovery, the murder capital. Doug, what have you got? I've been listening to this lady for about a year or so. I discovered her because uh, the French station I listen to plays an awful lot of her, especially this particular album. It's Tammy Nielsen. And the record I'm going to be listening to of hers is called Chicka Boom. Now, Tammy Nielsen, she's got a bunch of records out. She's what you might call Americana. At first, I thought she was just plain rockabilly, but she really takes a lot of different Southern country sounds and puts them all together and makes different kinds of sounds. But I'll tell you something about Tammy Nielsen. Let me tell you something. She's not only has a great hairdo, she takes charge of a song. I mean, when you hear her singing a song, she's saying to you in the background, you better be listening to this song. And because that's the kind of voice she has. I really, I really like it. I've listened to several of her albums. This is my favorite one so far. She takes a, a, a mix of, I don't know, country music, rockabilly, soul, uh, maybe a little hip hop here and there, gospel, really great stuff. And um, I just enjoy listening to it. Every song is a, is a gem on each album. Her latest album is called Kingmaker. Uh, it sounds a lot like Chickaboom. But, uh, so I'd recommend either one. But the one I, uh, I really like is Chickaboom by Tammy Nielsen. It's my next track. This was episode number 248 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. It should be jam-packed this week. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track. You can make regular donations via Patreon. We are ad-free and we're self-sustaining, so listener support is what keeps us going. We appreciate it. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.